The Spectator is searching for the UK's brightest entrepreneurs to enter the Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year awards, in partnership with Charles Stanley Wealth Managers. If you have a business that disrupts an existing market, a smart new way of doing things, or something that has incredible social impact, then apply by 1st of July at spectator.co.uk/innovator. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Music lovers, I think we can all agree, enter the average parish church at their peril. The tyranny of the bad hymn affects churchgoers of all denominations, Catholics, Anglicans, Methodists, you name it. There'll be somebody on the altar or in the choir loft wanting to recreate the most hideous noises of the 1960s and 70s. Though it should be said that the tradition of embarrassingly bad hymns dates back at least to the 19th century. Anyway, you know the sort of thing. Make me a channel of your peace, a hymn so wretched that my guest today says it always makes her feel rather violent. Lois Letts is a wedding and funeral organist for Church of England parishes in rural Herefordshire. And the funerals are appropriate, actually, because when I first met her many years ago, she worked on the obituaries desk of The Times. Listeners of the sensitive, caring and tone-deaf persuasion may not enjoy our conversation about bad hymns, Lois has nominated a few, but I certainly did. And after the interview, I have a little musical treat in store for you. So, Lois, in, in a journalist for years... I was a journalist, were... I was an obituarist. Um, so I've been, I've been at the sharp end of the death industry twice. Right. I, I played funerals and I used to write obituaries. So I speak from a probably slightly unique experience amongst my fellow organists on knowing how people feel shortly before the funeral as well as during the funeral. And I try to get them to choose good hymns. Now, for funerals, because we're dealing with a slightly older generation, that usually isn't a problem. For weddings, though, I'm dealing with young girls for whom the education system quite often was lacking on daily acts of communal worship in the 1980s and 1990s, and therefore they had a very limited repertoire of hymns they might choose from. So in my list of horrors that I sent to you earlier, um, a lot of these would be things that brides would suggest to me for their wedding day. Give me joy in my heart, one more step along the world I go, make me a channel of your peace, which always makes me feel quite violent, Lord of the Dance, that's the one I managed to get off quite quickly. I used to be polite about it, but now I send this off with, do you really want an image of the crucifixion on your wedding day? <laughs> uh, 
And they said, oh, is it about the crucifixion? I have noticed that. Yes, I danced on the Sabbath when the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. It's not something you want to sing when you're in a pretty white dress. A lot of these hymns have bad introductions. So something like, be still for the presence of the Lord, it's one note. And if they miss the introduction, as in I do the little playover, and if they miss the beat then before they come in, they can be very, very lost very quickly. And it happened once that I had a congregation about half a verse behind me because they joined in the scraggly sort of way on line three or four and then started, well, I was on line three or four, and started doing their own thing. And it was horrible. It was one of the first weddings I played for. After that, I started being much, much clearer about what I thought they should be choosing for weddings. And I always say, does your aunt know it? Does your grandma know it? And they, aunt and granny show good taste and would prefer guide me over that great redeemer, praise my soul, the king of heaven, adding sing to Jesus, tell out my soul, anything other than... Um, well, you've, made, you've made a list of horrors here. Step. You've made a, there's a little yeah. gallery of horrors here. And I have to yeah, say, you have it. named some of the hymns I loathe yes. most in the world, and you've just mentioned one of them, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. Yes, um, which nasty. has in common with so many hymns coming out of the 1960s, which I, which I think it does. Many of them yeah. written in America by the dreaded St. Louis Jesuits. And they yeah. found their way over to this country and they found their way into the Church of England and just about everywhere. And what they have in common is that they put the singer in either in the position of Jesus himself or yes. singing about his or her own yes. wonderful qualities and virtues. And making yes. a channel of your piece is a very good example of it. I've got a couple of hymn books here to just show the difference. I've got Hymns, Ancient and Modern, New Standard. I think that was published in about 1983. And then I've got Hymns, Old and New here, which was published in 1996. Now, the difference in 13 years in the number of hymns, if you look at the index, beginning I, ancient and modern, new standard, which includes 100 hymns for today and more hymns for today. So it's got some of the 60s and 70s in, but I think we had four, four hymns in which I comes as the first word in hymns, ancient and modern, new standard. 21 hymns in which I is the first word in hymns, old and new. And then I also had a quick look at how many hymns Christ comes up in as the first word in my ancient and modern and the newer 1996 book. And basically, Christ and God get halved, whereas I goes up four times. That really does confirm what I read in a wonderful, provocative book published a few years ago called why Catholics Can't Sing, but it applies to all mainstream denominations, and it's called The Culture of Catholicism and the Triumph of Bad Taste. It's by an American organist and musician and music scholar called Thomas Day, and he loathes what he calls the reformed folk style, of which Make Me a Channel of Your Peace is a classic example. He basically says these hymns are ego renewal put to music, and he lists some of the most egotistical and narcissistic folk songs introduced in the 1960s. For example, Gonna Sing My Lord by Joe Wise. Everybody sings the word I all the time. All That I Am by Sebastian Temple, in which the word I appears 15 times on, on two small printed pages. When I sing, with repeats the words I and me are sung 21 times, and <coughs> me a channel of your peace. And he says, because the words are by St Francis, 
again by Sebastian Temple, who's one of the one of the very influential magnates of this new trendy hymnody in America. And writes Thomas Day, the founder of the Franciscans intended this deeply moving prayer to be recited privately. The mm. same words, when magnified in song and proclaimed in public, sound like an obnoxious form of boasting, an <coughs> inventory of my spiritual greatness. Sometimes the I and the me are expanded to us, not the struggling Christian faithful, but the us who are the special people of this folk liturgy, the selected few who tower above all others in saintly virtue. <laughs> so there's an awful smuggery, isn't there, love? Yes. Yeah, it is smug. And also, but, uh, and I, I'm very much not smug. The older I get, the more of a mess I realise I am. I am sinning in all sorts of ways. I mean, not very practically sinning, but I'm sure in thought and uh, word, if not deed, I sin endlessly. And I don't know where I'm going altogether. And I would like a big umbrella over me. I want to feel protected by something much bigger and better than me. That's why I go to church, in order to slightly get rid of me. I mean, as a mum, I think that's one of the first things you find when you have a child. Thank God it's not all about me anymore. I can love something so much more than me, because it's a relief to get rid of me. But then children get older, and now I'm back at home on my own. And to a certain extent, that's why I took up the organ in my sort of late 40s, was because I got more and more involved in the church and thinking, this is a lovely thing, this brings me back to how much I went to church when I was young, which is a lot. And I love the church, but this last year has just been a nightmare, a disaster for the church, from which I don't know quite, quite see how we recover. But that's another thing, so we're back on hymns. Well, um, I personally have never paid an awful lot of attention to the words of hymns, but no. I, I'm very, very interested in the music of them. My phrase for this reformed folk is Joan Baez meets Hildegard Bingen in a 1970s <laughs> cocktail lounge. Particularly if they're written in a sort of cod medieval mode, which so yes. many of them are. Yes, there's a, Just, there's a lot of cod medieval. It's absolutely Which Britain, Britain could do very well, but other people not exactly, so well. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes the problem with these hymns is not that they reek of the 1960s, because they might be much older hymns, but they might, for example, like one of the hymns you mentioned, Give Me Joy in My Heart, just basically that sounds like something you might sing at a Boy Scout jamboree, or they're difficult to sing. For example, How Great They Are. Now, that's a tremendously popular hymn, and it has a rather lovely history. It comes from a Swedish folk tune. It was used by Billy Graham at his Crusades, and when it's sung very well, it can be tremendously effective. But the congregation has got to be in good voice. Because don't you have to leap up? I mean, not in that hymn, but in yes. some hymns. You have, to leap a whole, yes. you have to leap a whole octave in some hymns. Give you worship hymns. And that can yes. produce the most appalling noise. Yes. Fortunately, I haven't first-hand experience of, of listening to too many worship songs because I get to choose the hymns in my parishes, or I work with the vicar on them. So we go to the slightly sort of mucky end of 100 Hymns for Today sometimes, with things like Living Lord. And I had to play some ghastly things at a local prep school before I decided that I was choosing there too. The hockey mistress was choosing before I got there, and she said, but the children like these hymns. And I said, well, the children like e-numbers, but it's up to us. Sunny Delight. Ooh. They like Ooh. Sunny Delight Ooh. instead of Orange Juice, yes. Sometimes you get a really, a really lovely tune that's completely mangled. Yeah. And it's in yeah. your list, Lord of the Dance. 
Now that is a beautiful shaker melody that we hear so wonderfully in, in Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring. But it's been forced into this hymn, which, as you point out, has immensely unsuitable words for a wedding. There are so many hymns that actually might kind of work as folk hymns if anybody wanted to sing folk hymns. And, you know, there, yeah. are, there are liberal Democrat voters and the like who do. They don't work as soon as you start trying to play them on the organ. And oh, well, that's it. You see, a good, a good hymn should ideally be a hymn that plays well in a church and a church, the church instrument is the organ. So then we come back to the whole point of the whole problem at the moment of there not being enough decent organists who play with their feet. So take something like Wolvercote, the decent tune to Oh Jesus I Promised. You cannot play that well with your hands. Yeah. Uh, it's got loads of suspensions and you need to play with the pedals. If you cannot play the pedals, you're in trouble with a lot of these hymns. Jerusalem is impossible. Of course it is. Uh, and Jerusalem isn't hand. really a hymn, it's an anthem. And it really it's yes. not that difficult to sing, as we know from loads of, um, you know, we hear loads of drunken rugby players and the like singing it and stag nights and things. So it's not that difficult to sing, but it doesn't work in church unless, I mean, I've, I've tried it because I've had a go at being a church organist. Um, and those chords are difficult. And Parry was a wonderful, subtle composer. And unless it's performed properly, the whole thing is completely messed up. You've, you talk about, oh, Jesus, I have promised. You think the words are excellent, but you think that the... I think it's called Hatherop Castle? Hatherop Castle is dreadful. I it's looked got, it up. It's it, hideous. Yeah, it's hideous. One of the worst things, one of the sort of dead giveaways when you're looking at one of the new hymns and you realise they've run out of musical ideas is do they start lapsing into what I call rhythmic gimmicks? So if you've got triplets, scotch snaps or syncopation, you've run out of ideas and Hatherop Castle is full of triplets. Yeah, da da da, dee dee dee, my husband, refuses to sing at that point and tries to turn it into a crotchet and two quavers. And I'm like, it's meant to be a triplet, dear. And he said, I won't do it. I won't do it. I can't do it. I um, remember <laughs> Quentin appeared on Holy Smoke a long time ago and said that at the sign of peace, I forget what his tactic was for avoiding the sign of peace. Picking, picking up in books from the floor. Excellent. Well, I actually, I don't mind the sign of peace too much, but that makes me a heretic in conservative Catholic circles. So. It's not just that the people at weddings and funerals aren't used to being in church, but a lot of the problem is that there's a sort of, I don't know how true this is of the C of E, but it's a real problem in the Catholic church. There's a little gang in many parishes well as soon as you see the words worship leader or music minister you know yes. that there's going to be a little a club of people who manage the music and want a particular type of 1960s mm. music done in a particular way and can be ferociously inflexible if yes. you try and suggest that actually yes. nobody yes. under 60 listens to that yeah. stuff it's the illiberal liberals again they are very, very bossy, and most people who go to church love the old stuff, and it's, it's, it, to me, it's like, youngsters call it dad dancing, when we see the church trying to be trendy, it's very embarrassing. The youngsters I know who've gone to decent schools, um, maybe the army and the Welsh, all want traditional stuff at their weddings, but... It's the youngsters who've been let down by the state education system, I think, in the 80s and the 90s, and who and when still are being let down. I know someone whose child went to a harvest festival the other day, nice little village school in Leinster, North Herefordshire, and there was no wee cloud of fields and scatter. 
there were four other things, and this man isn't particularly religious, but he was horrified. He said, but, but I do remember that hymn. That's important to me, that hymn. It's our cultural heritage. It's just being jacked in one generation. What about the attitude of vicars? A wet vicar can destroy the yeah. music overnight. Yes, indeed. There was a wet vicar on Sunday who said, now, if only we could get out, get rid of these masks, he said, I would have chosen as our first hymn, Living Lord. And I hate the masks. And I think in a small congregation in a largest church, we could have got rid of those masks and we could have been singing. But at that point, my heart leapt like a heart. An H-A-R-T. And I thought, oh, great, we don't have Living Lord. How I hate Living Lord. Someone could have told me, you might have had Living Lord and I would have offered to fill in for this service. That's not a vicar I, I deal with very often. Obviously, he has very dodgy hymn taste. He knows, though, that that's a very traditional congregation. He said, you can go and hum that to yourself, though, over your washing up later, and I'm sure you'll enjoy doing that. No, 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 no. He must know we don't enjoy that sort of thing. I've been saying, my little, my little COVID hymn has been all my hope on God is founded, and Herbert Powell's have done me proud. Every time I've been feeling a bit lost in the car, I just sing to myself. Well, he was a wonderful it's, composer. And you know, he wrote that over breakfast. Someone sent him the translation, the Robert Bridges translation, in the post. He opened the, the letter. He saw these words. By the end of his post, he had finished that hymn. And that is what a brilliant composer, who's at the top of his game, can do. Whereas it would take um, Graham Kendrick a whole lifetime to come up with a line of that. I don't actually think Graham Kendrick is as bad as the... 1960s American Catholics who gave us Make Me a Child of Your Peace and, and things like that. Can I ask you to name a favourite hymn? Okay, uh, my absolute favourite is Alleluia Sings Jesus. I love Hifridol because I think it's a fantastic combination of words and music. I don't think anyone has expressed... Can I just get some of the words up? Yeah, sure. I don't think anyone has expressed the feeling of not being worthy, not being good enough. Verse 3. Alleluia, bread of angels, thou on earth, our food, our stay. Alleluia, hear the sinful, flee to thee from day to day. Intercessor, friend of sinners, earth's redeemer, plead for me, where the songs of all the sinners sweep across the crystal sea. And then in the last couple of lines, the mystery of incarnation, which is very difficult for a priest to get his head round in the pulpit, but thou within the fail has entered, robed in flesh, our great high priest, thou on earth, both priest and victim in the Eucharistic feast. It's fantastic. It's fantastic poetry. It's fantastic theology. And it's just a brilliant Welsh hymn tune. If I had to choose any favourites, I'm very fond of those Lutheran chorales that have found their way into English hymn books. <laughs> now thank we all our God. Or all people that yeah. are on earth who dwell. You, you only find out there a Lutheran chorale when yeah. you're listening to a Bach cantata and suddenly it springs yeah. up out of, on top yeah. of the orchestral yeah. texture and you suddenly realise, gosh, they were singing it there. But I think if I had to choose one, it would be Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. Not so much oh, for the oh, words, okay. but because it's such a glorious tune and so gloriously harmonised by Paris. Yes. And I urge everybody to listen to it because it's now been recorded and it's on Spotify to its original context, to different words in Paris' Oratorio Judith, where it's even more beautiful. Well, we had it at my mother's funeral, and um, it's and a real tearjerker. From Morgan's point of view, beautiful marching bass on those, on those pedals, which you just couldn't get on any other instrument. Everyone seems so well to it.
Let me ask you quickly, though. So you mentioned the pedals. Yeah, yeah. Look, I tried. I can, I can more or less play the piano. I've been working very hard at it recently. Horror of my neighbours. When I went to university, I thought, right, I'm going to try and learn the organ as well. And I couldn't do it. I gave up in tears because my brain did not want, my feet did not want to move <coughs> independently of my hands. And it's like I just didn't, I didn't get the knack of driving either, but I just couldn't get the knack. You could do it. I, I remember almost crying and thinking, I can't do this. I'm not clever enough. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. Now I teach the organ, weirdly, to small children. And because they're not hampered by the idea of I'm a good pianist and therefore I should be able to do this, which I think is a, the trouble with a lot of pianists who come to the organ after they've got grade seven, grade eight. Ooh, I'm really good at this. They're then embarrassed. So a child has no embarrassment and doesn't mind making big, loud mistakes. That's one thing, so I'd say, the way the organ is taught in this country, it should be taught right from the start, 11, 12, shove them onto an easy bark prelude, and they'll pick it up very quickly. Um, we can do it. Basically, um, our little local church, I was playing the piano a lot, and another organist said, it's sweet that you're playing to your dog all day, but we're on our knees around here, we have so few organists, I'm running between one service and another, please let me teach the organ. And I took it up, and was still slightly half-hearted in my commitment, when I realised that our my very, very local church, my village church, was about to become a wedding venue. And when that happened, I was going to be in the hot seat because the old lady who'd been playing just with her hands was retiring. So at that point, I thought, oh no, what's she going to ask for? It could be the Queen of Sheba. It could be anything. And you can't say no to a bride. I mean, you can try, but you can try on the hymns, certainly. But you can't sort of say, no, I'm technically not capable of playing Queen of Sheba properly. Um, without looking lazy or incompetent. So I thought, I can do this, I can do this. I glued myself to the organ stall, I played for hours and hours and hours every day, and I overcame my coordination issues, and I became pretty much within, you know, fortnight, I felt like I was an organist. Then I never looked back, and I never just played with my hands again for anything. Some of these hymns are really difficult, just playing them with your hands. You need big hands, I've got little hands, but I've got feet. And your feet have memory, and you don't realise they have memory until you... It's like doing a, a little dance on that organ stool. It's lovely. Your feet discover that they have a memory. Make it up again. We need more organists. I must say, when I, go, when I go into a church, and first, one thing I cannot bear is when people sing hymns that need full four-part harmonies. They sing them in unison. It drives me mad. Because they require, they require harmonies. So my heart leaps, I must say, when I hear an organist who's playing the pedal. So crunching cliche alert, Lois Letts, keep pulling out the stops. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. So that was my conversation with Lois Letts about bad hymns. And it got me thinking about the ever-diminishing role of the organist in British society and in the British cultural imagination. Here's a question I forgot to ask Lois. Has she ever found herself seated one day at the organ, weary and ill at ease, and her fingers stumbling over the noisy keys, discovered a chord that conjures up a great Amen? Now, you may think I've totally lost my marbles, but to any one of, say, the Queen's generation, and I think you really would have to be that old, those words would be instantly recognisable. So here, in tribute to parish organists everywhere, is Dame Clara Butt, singing the first part of Sir Arthur Sullivan's The Lost Chord in the sort of 
throaty contralto voice that you don't hear wafting down from the organ loft very often these days. Thank you. 